Welcome to our Holly Jolly Dogcast. I'm Sarah. And I'm Laurel. And this is What is Dog? Is it the question or the reindeer? <laughs> Welcome to our holiday episode of What is Dog? We're going to look back at our first season, the highs, the lows. We're also going to have a few special guests stopping by and some musical performances from our friends throughout. But first, let's see who's up for adoption. <laughs> so, Rocky, the absolutely adorable Pitbull, and Piper, the cutie learning to trust again, are both still available. Whiskey and Borden are as well. And let's not forget about how many dogs got adopted this season. Chloe, Indy, Melly, and Sheila all found homes. Ah, oh, good for them. I'm so excited for them. We wish them the best of luck in all of their future endeavors. It's time for a little musical break from our friends. This first number is from a girl that's super special to both me and Sarah. We actually met her riding horses at the same barn, and she now works with us in the same corporate office. She's extremely talented. Please join me in welcoming Rachel Rosenthal. Oh, the weather outside is frightful, but the fire is so delightful. And since we've no place to go, let it snow, let it snow, let it snow. Oh, it doesn't show signs of stopping, and I brought some corn for popping. The lights are turned way down low, let it snow, let it snow, let it snow. When we finally kiss goodnight, how I'll hate going out in the storm. But if you really hold me tight, all the way home I'll be warm. The fire is slowly dying, and my dear, we're still goodbying. As long as you love me so, let it snow, let it snow, let it snow. Rachel is such an amazing singer. She oh, really is. I'm so impressed. She is so talented. I had no idea she could sing like that until it, you told me that she could sing like that. It <laughs> sounds, sounds like the radio. It's, it does. So I actually listened to the recording of her first in the car with Andy. And Andy was like, oh, did you put on Spotify Christmas music? And I was like, no, that is my friend Rachel. It's, and he was so impressed. I know. <laughs> okay. So, Laurel, let's talk about this season a little bit. I want to know what your favorite episode or episodes were. Oh, man. Favorite episodes of the season. Um, some ones that come to mind immediately. Definitely Ruth Hatton. I loved that episode. Oh, my gosh. Yep. That's top of my list, too. But keep going. She, um, what made hers really speci special was um, she just was so fact-based. Everything that she did. She's a yeah. lawyer. She's an advocate for animals. Um, and she just knows so incredibly much. So she did not, there was no buzzwords there. She mm -hmm. had complete facts for every single thing that she was saying. It was amazing. She was one of my favorites too because I loved the clear passion that shone through when she mm -hmm. was talking to us. And that the fact that she's also an advocate for animals in addition to everything else she does. Uh, it's really, really great. Yeah. And her Australian accent didn't hurt. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I loved that so much. It was amazing. Okay. What other episodes did you like? Um, also really liked Fran. She was so... She was our first one. She was our inaugural episode. Oh, she was. I forgot about that. It, was so, it feels like so long ago. I remember wearing shorts to do our training session with her because it was still hot outside which seems 
like so far away because I mean now it's December <laughs> yeah I think with Fran um she just made us feel immediately really comfortable mm-hmm. um her company's name is Masterpiece Dog Training and she didn't know anything about podcasts when we first showed up and we were she was just so game to sit down record a little bit and she's just so what did you what do you call her the god oh I said no not the god it's the Yoda. She is the Yoda of dog training because she sits back in her chair very calmly and just kind of dictates what you need to do with your dog. And she's such an expert. It's kind of like she's Yoda and you're her patty one. And so is the dog. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. What about you? What is your some of your favorites? Um, my absolute favorite was actually Modern Day Doolittle, our last episode with uh, Meg. Yeah. I think it was just really touching. Yeah. You know, I just, I really enjoyed what she had to say. And I think it brought a whole new topic to the table that we hadn't really got into yet. Yeah, for sure. I mean, first of all, so amazing to be able to bring Peanut into it. And I could talk yeah. about Peanut forever and ever. But yeah. the other thing about Meg is that she was so incredibly dynamic when we first talked to mm-hmm. her and then throughout. And yeah. even afterwards, she is just like this energy that cannot be tamed. Another one of my favorite episodes was our Fitness with Fido episode because I felt like she just had such an innovative idea, the whole working out with your dog one, and that's something I really want to get into, and I think next season I'm going to try to focus a little more on ways you can work out with your dog or get a little bit of exercise in for both of you. So that that one really, I think, was the most inspirational one for me. That one was so fun, and I especially loved the episode that you did, and we didn't have a guest, and you were giving exercise tips with your dog, mm-hmm. and I, that was one of the episodes where I was like, wow, I think that I could actually do this whole, like, exercising with your dog thing, because you put it into little digestible tidbits that were um, really interesting and fun. That was a fun one. I really enjoyed researching the things you can do with your dog, and then trying to photograph them. Um, Andy and I definitely had some funny moments at the park trying to get both me and Duke in the right position to demonstrate a move. And um, we posted a couple of the pictures that turned out well, but for each one of those, I think there's about 50 pictures that did not turn out well. Uh, Maybe we'll post one of those as a joke sometime. (laughs) Just goes to show, you see these great pictures on Instagram, but... Most of the pictures that went into get, getting that picture were terrible. <laughs> so It's so true. We have been so incredibly um, lucky to have all of these great guests. We've had so many experts on this year, and we really couldn't even go through them all, but it's each one has brought their own thing to the table, and we've been so lucky to talk to each of them. Our next musical number is someone super special to me, my cousin, Michaela White. She is also extremely talented, and we grew up like sisters. Please enjoy.
Jackson Brown. You'll say, are you married? We'll say, no man. You can do the job when you're in town. What a beautiful song. Winter Wonderland is one of my favorite songs because my mom took my family skiing this once when I was really little. And I remember as we drove up to the resort, the trees and everything was just covered in snow. And that song, Walking in a Winter Wonderland, happened to be playing. And my mom paused and she was like, kids, we're in a winter wonderland. Look at this. And we really were because it was um, like there's icicles everywhere and snow and it was just really special time. So now that's one of my favorite Christmas songs. Okay, so running this podcast while having a full-time job, among our many, many other interests, of course, it's going to be <laughs> challenging to say the least. Should we share our behind-the-scenes secrets with our guests? To everyone listening, here's the thing. Sarah and I work full-time jobs, and then we have so many hobbies on top of it, mm-hmm. so we're constantly running on empty. Mm-hmm. We're outlining... There's so much that goes into this that maybe you necessarily wouldn't realize yeah. firsthand, and we're often put in some interesting situations for, like, trying to fit in a recording, and we definitely <laughs> have some interesting stories. I think my favorite favorite moment in the podcast was the night we went to pick up my saddle yeah and um the fact that we ended up trying to record in your car afterwards such a bad idea in retrospect with charlie in the back seat and the audio ended up being all messed up it was so bad remember charlie and jumped in the back way way back and was just sitting there yeah like, staring at us yeah and it was it was so late at night and we were so tired and we just couldn't stop giggling. Like, laughing. We could not stop laughing long enough to record. I was trying to read that article with all the funny names. Oh my gosh, there were so many names, Sarah. I thought you were trying to say the name of one person, and I was like, why is this never ending? <laughs> and, like, the names were so hard to pronounce, I was literally just sitting there making weird sounds. <laughs> and at the end, you, were, you asked me why we were reading the article, like, what was the point, and... I realized I hadn't even read the article. <laughs> it took us so long to get through that article, and there was no point. <laughs> so that was one of our challenging but funny moments. And then, to make it even worse, after all that, like, I remember we were so tired, we went to Dunkin' to get a latte to try to, like, wake ourselves up. Yep. And then we were going to record in Dunkin', but then that Dunkin' was closed or something like that. We went to a different Dunkin'. And then that one was, like, closed or something like that. So then we had to go back to the store. Oh, because you forgot something. I went back to the store because I forgot my um, saddle adjuster that came with the saddle. And they called me to say it was still at the store. And you had just been there with me. And you were like, it's okay. I have to go back there anyway. And I was like... Laura, you were just there. What do you have to go back for? You can come up with anything. And then I was like, okay, so, so we need to go back. And then you go, it's okay, I have to go back there anyway. And I was like, Laura, give up the charade. You don't have to go back there. Stop trying to make me feel better. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, we were so tired. Yeah. And then to make everything even worse, when I go back to, to, the, um, go back to my house, the whole charade's over. We didn't give up. We didn't quit. We kept going. Another hour in. We get home super late. I go to edit the episode, and you can't hear a friggin' thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we ended up re-recording the whole thing. Yep, because there was the sound in the car was so bad. Apparently, if you open up a window, 
it sounds like, I don't know, a helicopter. Who knew? <laughs> it was crazy. It was so bad. Um, that kind of leads into, like, us never being able to pronounce anything. We're really bad. I know. Okay, so <laughs> earlier you called it a Dutch hound. I know. I didn't know how to pronounce it. How do you pronounce it? And he says dash hound. It's a dachshund. Oh, no. He's like, how am I going to sign this dog catcher that doesn't know anything about dogs? I couldn't remember in the moment what it was. I thought maybe you were just being fancy or something. Oh, no. What was the word, though, I couldn't pronounce? And even after you told me how to pronounce it, I still couldn't say it right. Oh, oh. I forget what word it was. Well... That's okay. <laughs> what was it? I don't know. We were recording at the barn for that Oh, one. Re- reputable. Yes, <laughs> reputable. <laughs> I can't. Yeah, so Sarah, whenever she's trying to say reputable. Reputable. That was good. That was great. Yeah. I, I always say reputable. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, Sarah. Do you remember that time that we were in the barn? It was du- during... I don't even remember what episode it was, but... This So, we record in the barn. We have this viewing room. I have a lot of outside responsibilities with the barn, like um, scheduling the helpers and things like that. So, mm-hmm. they often have a lot of questions for me. Mm-hmm. So, we thought that we were doing so good and going and hiding in this viewing room there. No one would really bother us. And this girl, this helper comes in. She knocks on the door <laughs> so sweetly. What did you think she was going to say when she came in? Like, oh, which saddle should I put on this horse? Something like that. Yeah, she's like, so sorry to interrupt. And we're like, oh, of course. Like, what's what's up? What's going on? I wish that we kept it running. Because what did she have, Sarah? <laughs> she had a mouse. <laughs> in a cup. <laughs> I thought she was going to be like, here's, like, this is the mouse that I'm saving. And then continue saving it. But no, she wanted to give us this mouse when we were in the room and have us take care of it. Yes. Which is what happened, in fact. She gave us the mouse, so I was like, I'll take care of it. dying mouse. It was a sick, dying mouse that she had found out in the rain and wanted us to care for. So we did. Yeah, we did. We sure did. Well, Sarah did. And the mouse was okay. Brought in some challenges that weren't too funny. They just were kind of frustrating for mm-hmm. us. Like, for the fact that I'm always... I have this voice that just... It's a quiet voice. It's hard to pick it up. You said that you struggled with this, like, in school, too, didn't you? Like, drama or something like that? Oh, yeah. I used to do plays when I was in school. Yeah. And it was really hard for me to project. And as a teacher, that was difficult. Um, and it's something I've been trying to work on, and the podcast, I think, has really helped me with that, even when it comes to presenting, um, for, like, company meetings and things like that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it definitely raised my awareness of that, and, you know, it, I think it has always extended beyond presenting to even conversations with people, mm. where you, I just don't always speak loudly enough, so... Now I'm hyper aware of it. <laughs> it's so funny. I never even noticed this. We had hung out quite a bit before we started the podcast together, and I never noticed that you had a quieter voice, like, mm-hmm. in conversations or whatever. And then I remember the first time we listened back to an episode, and I'm, like, yelling, and you're <laughs> so quiet. And I, it's just so weird because we're talking, I feel like, right next to each other. I feel like I'm talking the same volume as you. Yeah. That's how it feels, but apparently it's not true. <laughs> I... You know, it's funny because sometimes, like, I want to, I have this feeling like I don't want to be too loud ever. Mm. Like, I don't want to be disruptive. Mm. So I naturally want to be, like, quiet and, like, keep things nice and calm. 
So it, it, go, it kind of goes against my instinct to talk this loudly. Um, one of the best things that's happened, I think you would agree, with this whole podcast is our dogs becoming best friends. I know. they. We were just talking earlier about how it's so hard to find a match for your dogs, like a play match. Mm. Like, Duke doesn't want to play with a whole lot of dogs at, at the park. He kind of does his own thing. But occasionally he finds one other dog that he just could play with for hours. And yeah. it just so happens that Charlie is that dog. I know. It worked out really well. A lot of times Charlie is just like too much for other dogs. He comes at them too strongly or he's just this big bear. But Duke handles it and he gives it right back to him, which is so nice. Yeah. All right. So it's time for another little musical break. Another person that's special to me, here's my dad, Jim White. I heard there was a secret chord that David played and it pleased the Lord. But you don't really care for music, do ya? Well, it goes like this, the fourth, the fifth, the minor fall and the major lift, the baffled king composing hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. you needed proof you saw her bathing on the roof her beauty and the moonlight overthrew you she tied you to her kitchen chair she broke your throne and she cut your hair and from your lips you drew the hallelujah Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. That beautiful song was sung by Laurel's dad. Mr. White, uh, Laurel, apparently your family is very musical, which is awesome and so nice of them to sing music for us. So thank you, Mr. White. Sarah, what? Do you hear something? What's this? I think I do. <laughs> it's our friends Deanna from Mindful Mutt and Michaela from Community Canine. Deanna and Michaela, thank you so much for stopping by and welcome. We have been really focused on holistic dog care this season, and we wanted to round up a season with two powerful women who incorporate a holistic approach to their businesses and just really mindfulness in general. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thanks for having us. 
Deanna, you're our first repeat guest. Woo! <laughs> we love you so much. We just had to have you back the second time. <laughs> I'm glad to be here. <laughs> so Deanna, um, our guests already know you and the Mindful Met from episode 12. Uh, Michaela, can you just, for our guests who haven't heard of you before, can you tell us a little bit about you and your business? Yeah, so I run a dog training business. Um, I specialize in dogs who have behavioral problems. So I do aggression rehab or rehab for dogs who are very fearful or anxious. Um, and yeah, it's the, the approach that I take is very much on based on the relationship with the dog and their state of mind. Um, and it is, I, I advertise my business as, as holistic dog training. Um, so, you know, perfect for this episode. Um, but yeah, and I've been training animals pretty much my whole life. I trained horses when I was younger and I switched to dogs uh, about five years ago. Started working with dogs. So I don't think you realize this, but Sarah and I are big equestrians. So we, oh, <laughs> yeah, we actually met awesome. because of horses. So <laughs> that's so awesome. Oh my God. We'll have to talk horses some other time. Oh, Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> We're here to talk about dogs. dogs. <laughs> <laughs> and then Deanna, can you just um, give our guests who maybe didn't listen to episode 12, a little recap on you and your business and. Yeah. So I, um, run the Mindful Mutt out of Brookline and Brighton um, in the Boston area. Um, I do uh, group dog walks and um, boarding in my home. Um, and I also do cat visits and some quick let outs for like dogs with mobility issues, etc. We wanted to get a little bit into, because both of you take a unique approach with your businesses, and we wanted to dig into that a little bit further Deanna, what is kind of the difference between you, what you offer and then also what WAG and Rover, what, what they're offering? So um, there's a difference in hiring a small business that is in your area and somebody that you trust as opposed to hiring one of these larger national or international apps that. Um, kind of have a very low bar to the vetting process. I think in general, there's a low bar to, um, you know, uh, dog walking in general. So you really have to be careful who you're hiring and who you have around, you know, in your home um, and with your family, with your dogs. Um, occasionally, maybe you'll be home when they come to pick up the dog, maybe not. Um, with Rover and Wag, I actually did business on Rover and Wag, and they're, you know, as somebody who is a qualified person to be dog sitting, um, there's no problem with you hiring me off of an app, right? Because I'll take great care of your dog. But as a dog owner, I know the process to get into the app to become a dog walker or a dog sitter is very a very, very easy process. When I started my business, I actually started on Rover doing dog sitting when I was um, working part-time and I had a full-time job. So my business was part-time and that was a good way for me to kind of get off the ground. But um, as somebody who signed up for both Rover and WAG, I know how easy it is to become part of that community, to become you know an independent contractor by them. So you, you're not actually their employee. There's very little accountability and follow through if something goes wrong on the ends of the companies. 
Um, so you will often hear that feedback from people. I think that the service that they're offering is really great because as a dog owner, I know it's really hard to um, be flexible um, and you kind of have to have your schedule in place for these dogs. So having an on the go, you know, the Uber of dog walking sounds really great until something goes wrong, right? So mm -hmm. when you get somebody who is experienced with dogs and you get to meet face to face, you get to know um, that this is their actual profession. This is what they do full time. It's not something that they're doing on the side for some extra cash. They take it really seriously and their reputation really seriously. You also get to see how they interact with your dog. Um, if you get that vibe of whether or not your dog and this person are a good match for each other, that might not be the case for every single dog. Not every dog likes every single person um, and so on and so forth. So I think, the difference as far as what I offer is that I try to be as flexible as possible because coming from uh, working in an office, having a regular nine to five job and also having to do events in the evenings or having a long day and then having my two dogs at home was really, really hard to balance. So I try to offer something um, to be able to be a bit flexible. Um, however, um, I also am able to be there for my clients and be as, you know, reliable as I can um, so that they know that I'm going to be there for them and for their dogs. It's always going to be the same person. Um, adding mm -hmm. somebody to the team, I think, would be important to be able to have that structure so that the dogs know who's coming to, to walk them as opposed to these random people showing up to your house. I didn't realize that with Roger, Rover and Wag that it's different people every time. Well, Rover, you can pick, you can actually select who you want to walk your dog. So okay. if you want, you can set up a meeting, you can chat. With WAG, it's not, it's just whoever accepts the walk first on the app. So they send out the walk to people in the area, and then whoever on their phone accepts it first is the one who gets it. Even for boarding, you never, as a boarder, if I were to take a dog as a WAG walker into my home, I would never have met that dog. I just go to the house, pick up the dog. Sometimes I've done it once. The per people were not home to meet me. I figured I'd be able to at least meet the people. Um, I it's not even safe for house. you because you don't know the what quirks that dog may have. I mean, that's one of the things that Sarah and I were um, most interested about too when we heard you talk the last time is every dog has certain quirks or certain things that are spe special and unique to them that you kind of have to work around. I know that Duke has a few things and so does Charlie. And without mm -hmm. being able to talk about that in person and build that sort of that knowledge base around that, that particular dog. So important. I, I don't know how it works. I've heard of this service before and it even where the leashes are, how do you even know? You just find it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's pretty crazy, actually, if you think about it. But I guess some people are more lax. I, I don't know. I wouldn't take, I personally wouldn't take the chance. So mm -hmm. when, before I um, take on a dog, I have an online profile that's I can reach through my phone at any time. Um, and it's called Pet Pocketbook. They're also a local woman-run Boston um, startup here um, out of Kendall Square. And um, uh the owners can go in and enter all their care information so that if there's any questions that I have about it, I can ask them. 
or, or I can update the notes too so that we have this collection of information, what they can eat, what they can't eat, what they're reactive to, and it prompts them for all the questions that um, I, I need answers to uh, so that on their own time before I ever even meet them for the meet and greet, they can go ahead and fill that out. Well, as a dog owner, I wouldn't want to run that risk, but also just as a local, I would rather support a small business than some big, you know, tech company. Yeah. So yeah, two I, good reasons to go. Particularly women-owned businesses. I like to um, yeah. give back a little bit to them too and support, you know, young women that are work in my neighborhood so that we can kind of create this community together and even other dog walkers, you know, I don't mind if there's competition because it keeps me on my toes. I'm not afraid of my clients leaving me because I know that I give my best and I love their dogs more than anything. So, um, there's a different fit for different dogs and that's fine. Michaela, can you explain the difference between different types of dog training and what works best for different dogs? Well, I think there's, there's a lot of different kinds of dog training. Um, the, the average kind of pet owner is looking for one of two things. Either you have a puppy and you want to do puppy training, Mm -hmm. um, or you're looking to do some form of behavioral modification in order to fix a problem in order to get the dog to listen to you better or stop doing that, or, you know, be able to have some sort of freedom, like going off leash or socializing with other dogs. And those two things are pretty different those two types of training. Um, I, I would highly recommend anyone who has a puppy, no matter how good your puppy is to go to training. Cause it's really important to have that just baseline understanding of how to communicate with the dog. But puppy training is really fun. It's like environmental exposure. It's building motivation and confidence. It's, um, creating systems of communication, like how to use markers and leash pressure and food and toys. It's a lot of setting you up for success. Um, Mm -hmm. and it's just like a lot of fun and games. (laughs) Um, and for behavioral modification, or if you have, you're trying to fix a behavior or stop a behavior or something like that, I think it's still fun, but that's my, it's my job. So I, it's good that I think it's fun. I think a lot of people find it to be tedious because they have to create kind of this whole system of communication with their adult dog, which is a little bit more complicated. There's usually um, a lot more tools involved. It sometimes takes, I don't want to say it takes longer because you're always training your dog. Like if you have a puppy, it doesn't like, you should like be. Stop. I know. I was just thinking that. Like, that would be ideal if everyone thought that. <laughs> well, the thing is, this is how I frame it to my clients. Even if you're not training your dog, you're still building and stopping behaviors. Just by the pressure that you put on your dog or the environmental pressure that is around them, they're still making decisions, and you have still have the power to influence those decisions. So the training is always happening. Even if you've never trained your dog before, you're still training your dog to be who they are, you know? Mm-hmm. So the pup, but like the, the mindset that you have to be in to train a puppy, it you know, it ends when they're done cognitively developing and it evolves over time. Mm-hmm. So I would recommend finding a puppy trainer who understands how these things evolve um, and to stick with it. So like what you do when your dog is like four months old is not what you do with your dog when they're a year old. There is a big difference in how you're supposed to interact with them. But yeah, when you're doing, when you're doing behavioral mm-hmm. modification, it, it sometimes it, it takes many months. It takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of, of structure. I guess not that puppy training doesn't. 
puppy training takes a lot of structure too. <laughs> well. But I, um, I definitely see what you're saying. It's, it's, yeah. There's a behavior that's kind of been ingrained in them or they just have continuously reinforced that same behavior over and over and over. And maybe that um, owner hasn't corrected the, the behavior and provides some sort of modification. Then it's just kind of like instinctual. It's almost like muscle memory. It comes back to them. So they yeah. have to do more work to retrain that that reaction. So I can definitely see the yeah. difference there. Some research on you and kind of your style and um, how you specifically train. And I was curious too, because we've kind of, we've run the gamut of talking to different trainers throughout the season. And we started with clicker. The clicker training and the positive reinforcement training. I do that too. That's like yeah. a whole, all of this stuff is in my, in my program is all linked together. Yeah. Um, and I do find it sometimes problematic when we just focus on one of these applications of training because it does a it does a big disservice to the dog you want to have mm -hmm. a strong system of communication and so that's where the e-collar comes into play actually I don't use shock collars I'm pretty okay. anti-shock collar okay. um, an e-collar is something different so a shock collar is actually admitting an electric shock to the animal and it's happening in one moment mm -hmm. um, it's very common for like electric fences or if you're doing hunting um, doing like bird hunting um, it's a pretty common thing to use um, but the, the way that I teach, uh, is very deeply ingrained in multiple areas of science. And so when I look at how dogs use physical pressure in regards to the communication system in their brain, I can see that it's, it's much more applicable than using auditory communication. It makes a lot more sense to them. Mm -hmm. So I want to find something kind of like a leash that I can use wirelessly with a dog so I can enable freedom um, and I can enable like clear communication in a stressful situation without necessarily having to have a leash or having to like yell at my dog. I don't really like yelling at my dogs, um, or having to, you know, really be physical with my body. So a TENS unit is something that we use in physical therapy. Um, I have scoliosis, so I have, I'm familiar with what a TENS unit is. I use it at a level 45 on my back. It, it feels good. It's like a hot pins and needles that's like pulsing. Uh, and it, it's supposed to kind of open up your muscles so they can heal better. Uh, it's kind of a, a really easy explanation of it. Uh, but the e-collar is a TENS unit on, on a collar. Um, they're pricey. So don't go and buy like a cheap one necessarily. Like that's not, that's a shock collar. The, the pricey one that's like the several hundred dollar one is the e-collar. That's what I use. Okay. Um, and you're using it the same as the leash. So if you're teaching like a dog to walk on a loose leash, maybe using some leash pressure in association with the food reward to keep them in the position you want them to be in. Mm -hmm. You can actually layer that leash pressure with some e-collar pressure. And we usually use it. I start off every dog uh, at a level five, level three or five, which I don't know any human that can feel it on a level three or five, but the dogs can. Um, and they react to it. If you keep the lo levels low, they react to it with confidence and motivation and precision. I love that you say that you're kind of working on bringing all the training techniques into one. And I think I would say that's a huge differentiator of yours because I do think that a bunch of different trainers sort of pick one focus like clicker training and they really focus in on just doing that. Clicker training or marker training is actually the foundation of my program, but you don't have to have a clicker to do it. You can actually, anything can be a clicker. And so my, my program is very much based on educating people. So when you have the education behind all the dog training, you understand like all the different possibilities and you understand how all these different things tie together, like this beautiful way that nature kind of intended. So Michaela, what are some fun games for dogs that you've picked up along the way? 
And actually, Dan, I'd like to hear this from you too, because I'm sure you also play a lot of fun games with dogs. Um, so there, there's a few. Um, my favorite games to play right now, especially with my dogs, are food drive games. So one of my dogs is has really low food drive. She's not she's not food motivated. She doesn't really like in training for many years. Like she didn't care about a food, food at all. She just cared about toys. Um, and so recently I've been modifying her food drive, and it's been really really fun. What I do is I play with the food. So I am actually like running back and forth um, with really playful low body language, kind of egging her on to chase high value pieces of food in my hand. And when she gets the food. And she's like, she's pushing really hard into my hand to get it. I'll release it with my, uh, my marker. My, I use good. I don't always use a clicker with her. So I'll say good and I'll let her have it. Um, or I'll have her, I'll throw food for her and have her chase it. I do a lot of scent work with her. So I will hide food around my house for her, hide it in the yard and tell her to go find it. And she, she knows what that means. So we've done a lot of work with that word. Um, but yeah, it's been really fun to do these things because when I take like, maybe like two or three minutes a few times a day to do this with her in normal, you know, I'm going in and out of the house. We do a little game or I come home, we do a little game. It bleeds into the training I do with her. So then she's more mo food motivated when I'm outside with her and maybe we're in a stressful situation or I bring her to a training class with me and I want her to do something. So I've really been loving to play those games because they, they affect my whole relationship with her. One that I think is really fun because if it's a food motivated dog or toy motivated dog, it'll work. Um, like if you get a really long lead, you can also do this off a leash. But um, if you get a really small toy or um, one, obviously they can't swallow, like a small ball. Sometimes at Petco they have those little nubby balls. Those are fun. Um, or like a tiny little tennis ball. And um, or you can use small pieces of treats and getting them to like sit and stay, throw a treat and then get them to let the dog go, like tell them to go get it or whatever your command is, let them go find it. But usually it works best in like grass. So it's actually, they're, they're not just going and playing in a field and they see this giant ball and they know exactly where to go get it. So I think that when people think of games, they think about like tennis or like volleyball like there's a win and a lose for a dog it's just like okay i'm not just running in circles barking my head off chasing this other dog like that's one way to get your dog's energy out but that's just them just having a blast you know they're not really controlling i guess they're controlling themselves to a certain extent but there's there's a better way for you to kind of let them release their energy and use their brain more so that actually tires them out more uh, another game that I think is really fun is, um, I don't know if it's really a game, but the, just the sit and wait game, like, and get as far as away from them as you can and just getting them to come run to you or what have you. It doesn't seem like it's a game to you, but that's a game to them. Like, it takes them a lot of energy to sit there and stay there for some dogs, you know? So I gets, love that game. Yeah, it's seriously, and you can get all the way across the park one day and then call your dog. It's just such a good feeling, you know? And a you similar one? Sorry, hmm? a similar one that I love with the sit and stay is leave it, where I'll put a treat in front of them and then walk away and they're not allowed to eat the treat. I don't see how far I can get, you know? Um, yeah. And it, like you said, it takes so much energy and just like their mind and like, He's like, I do it with Duke and he sits there and he stares at me in the face, like not looking at the tree. And he's just waiting for that moment when I say, okay, 
um, it's a really fun game. <laughs> yeah, one, one dog that I walk and um, actually did lots and lots of training with Michaela, Queenie, she, um, like, she has to wait for her food. Like, that's a part of her training that her dad is in place. So I feed her her dinner, and she just drools, like, instant drool, like, a waterfall of drool onto the floor. Scram, like, every week you see me walk her, here she is drooling, like, pools and pools of drool on the floor. Like, how, like, this is your normal routine, but she's so psyched about it. It's so funny. It took her a while to get there, you know? She didn't always know, but she's, like, a totally different dog after working with Michaela. She couldn't even walk on the leash. She literally could not walk on a leash, like, it was the point where I was like thinking about not being able to walk her because she pulled so hard. I didn't want to be able, you know, risk myself, but then she started working with Kayla and now she walks a loose leash the whole walk for 30 minutes. Wow. She's an awesome dog. That is a really good dog. I will say. Yeah. And her owner does such a good job at, at working to learn how to communicate better. So it's not just the dog. It's all us. It's all us humans. None of it's their fault. And following through. And this all, all of the different games that you're bringing up too, it kind of goes back to um, something that you said in your episode that I'm obsessed with is that, you know, a tired dog isn't necessarily a happy dog and trying to figure out kind of what engages that dog and keeps it excited about learning more, motivated and switching it up a lot too. And making sure that you're not only exercising the dog's body, but you're exercising the dog's brain. And I imagine that becomes even more important when you get into sort of a city environment where all three of you, I'm not in a city environment, but all three of you are. So you really do have to get pretty um, creative with the different techniques that you're doing or the different games that you're doing. Um, so it, it, all of those things can, can, can all the games and activities that you mentioned can work in both, both situations. Yeah, like for a smaller space, let's say it's like a really bad weather. Um, I like to stuff toys with, um, uh, treats inside or stuff a ball inside of another toy that they like. So, um, this one brand, I think it's called JW. They sell them at Petco. You can get them online at Chewy.com and they have these, what they call holy rollers and they're like holes in the toy. They're like a rubbery toy. You could stick treats. You could take um, large pieces of fabric, you should obviously be monitoring them and stick little treats inside, roll it up inside the fabric so that they have to get the fabric out of the holy roller and then find the treat inside that. I've actually made snuffle mats with, with mm-hmm. felt, cut up felt and made snuffle mats for my dog. They love to do that. And the bigger you can make it with the different, if you Google snuffle mat, you'll see, so you could buy them online. Um, um, but you could also make them. And I think also, you know, like wobbly toys, like those Kong wobbly toys that knock the food out. Yeah. You take a piece of um, paper towel and crinkle it up inside. It makes it, because my dogs just learned how to make it work and they swat it across the room and all the food was flying. So I just did this Facebook group that was like called like, um, I can't remember, like engaging things for dogs or something like that. And I learned this trick of putting a piece of paper towel in there crunkled up so it makes it so that the 
the dog food can't come out as easily. And so oh, they play oh with it so much longer. Yeah. yeah. Literally going to do that right when we get off the phone. Because <laughs> they, they figured out, they love the wobbler. Like the moment it comes out, they're like, oh my God, it's the wobbler. <laughs> they just swat it across. The, they're so intense. They just they know swat exactly it out. what to do to get the food out. <laughs> and like a couple minutes later, they're done. They're like, they need a new challenge. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. Oh my God, such a good idea. Thank you, Deanna. A couple weeks ago, I was walking Duke actually I was running with him here in Brighton in the city and this dog came right we were crossing the street this dog comes running up off leash uh, up to Duke and Duke's very reactive towards other dogs so I'm terrified he's gonna you know start lunging Um, and the dog's owner is just walking along on the sidewalk and she goes oh it don't worry he's fine and I was like, okay, but my dog's not. <laughs> um, and it was this awkward moment where, and it was like, I guess where I was kind of mad that they had their dog off leash in the city because it had come running out into the street. But uh, I'm just wondering, in your opinion, is it ever okay to have your dog off leash? And like, what are the situations where it is okay? So yeah, I think that off leash train, like off leash training is amazing. I wish every dog was off leash trained, but it takes so long to get there. Mm-hmm. Off-leash training for me is my dog can not only come to me when called, but can sit down, stay, heal, and do all those things at a distance. So my dogs like practice these things on like a huge field. We do basic obedience repetitions regularly to make sure that they're good. So when we you know go hiking off-leash or they do have a new off-leash when I'm in the city, which is rare, um, you know they know exactly what to do. So yes, you can have a dog off-leash. But there's, you have social responsibility when you have a dog off leash. So if you're in the city and there are other people who are, have reactive dogs or they're scared of dogs, or maybe they're at a point in, in the, the year or in the religion, they're not supposed to interact with dogs because there are some religious um, people who at certain points of the year, they're not supposed to interact with dogs. Like mm-hmm. you need to be respectful of that and you need to have control over your dog. It doesn't matter if the dog's friendly or not. That's not the point. So. I think that that was what I'm sorry that happened to you. I think that's awful. And especially if you have a reactive dog, it's really just not fair to your dog. Um, It's not fair to you. Um, In that situation, I tend to not really give a crap about the other person. I (laughs) I just want that dog to get away from my dog. I need to advocate for my dog. All I care about is my dog's feelings. I will, I will put myself in between the, like the incoming dog and my dog and be very, forceful with my body language would be like, no, you cannot come here. Um, so I'm showing my dog that I'm in control of the situation. So yeah, sorry that happened. Oh no, it's fine. And that's kind of what I did is I ended up trying to put myself between them and then the dogs ended up just sniffing each other. So that was fine, but it was a scary moment for me because Duke sometimes gets really protective around the apartment and will lunge at other dogs and um, he gets really um, just nervous around new dogs that he doesn't know. So it racing up to him like that was like, yeah, uh, definitely a scary moment. Yeah. Um, it's also not fair that to expect a human to be put between two dogs. I've been bit severely getting in between two dogs. I have a puncture wound, permanent scar in my leg from a, a, a dog biting down on my leg. I'm getting in a fight with um, another dog who's actually here. Um, yeah, he went after her, and what am I going to do, you know? So I had to intervene in some way. It's never safe to break up a dog fight, no matter how you do it. So, like, mm-hmm. avoid it at all costs. 
especially when you see somebody walking with a dog, let alone somebody walking with four dogs on a leash, like a dog walker. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Deanna, how do you handle that? I, um, also have learned, I'm in a very assertive person. Um, but at first, when I first started walking dogs, I used to say things like, Oh no, please. He's not friendly. I don't say that anymore. I will command their dog. No, stay, sit. Because Sometimes I think you forget that you can tell someone else's dog, no. Mm-hmm. It's not a mm-hmm. child that you're, like, going to damage them forever. If that dog's running at you, you tell them no, and you have a certain tone of voice, your voice is low, and you're, you're, the communication of your body is that you're not going to back down, which is kind of not great to be in that situation. Mm-hmm. It's almost like we're worried that we will not we're like crossing some sort of social barrier. Like we're so worried that we're not being polite or we're not being um, respectful to that other person. But at that point, it doesn't even matter. Like this is a bad situation and you have to figure your way out of it. So I have some solo walks that I do with some, I have some aggressive dogs that I walk um, and I walk them on solo walks, but um, I'm at the moment I have the max that I can take of those but, um, for example, one dog, um, I was walking the other day and this, um, dog came off leash and it's a Rhodesian Ridgeback, great dogs. I do love them, but it's a big dog and he's coming and he's barking. So running up to the dog that's on the leash, running and barking. And the woman was picking up his dog poop and just said, it's fine. He's friendly, but it doesn't really matter whether or not your dog is friendly because you don't know whether the the person who has the other dog on the leash is friendly. So also if your dog is running up to other dogs barking and yelling at other dogs, then probably you haven't trained it how to greet other dogs. So you shouldn't, that's not normal behavior. Um, So when you get in that sort of situation, I think it's really just about educating. In that moment, I was so upset that it took me so long to get that dog to back down and she did nothing to help. That I ended up, we like she she got in a shouting match with me, saying he's fine, he's friendly, and I ended up shouting back at her. You know yeah. that she needs to be more responsible, and it's just like a situation you don't really want to be in. Nobody wants no. to feel that kind of tension and that like at least I don't want to be out there like shouting with this dog now. It's so I think it's all about just educating people, and maybe in that situation, what I should have done is maybe you know found some way to calmly communicate at a distance, you know, why it wasn't okay, but I guess you can't always do that in every situation, but telling people without offending them, I guess, would be the way for us to do it, but I think it's hard because people take their dogs so personally, like they're babies, you know? Yeah. So... Yeah, I think just being really vocal and making sure that the other person understands the situation because they may also just not be thinking that that other dog may not be welcoming to other other um, dogs. So it's just important to make sure that you educate them on your situation and my dog is not okay, so you need to leash your dog immediately <laughs> for your dog's protection. Looking back on your year as successful businesswoman that you both are, what was the moment that you are the most proud of? I think my proudest moment this year would be um, when I had like a huge amount of people show up to one of my group classes. Um, there was like 12, 13 people there, which is way more than they were supposed to be. <laughs> um, I have 
up until I think this year, I hadn't worked in a facility. I hadn't, I had worked with other people, but it, it never really worked out. This year I started working out of Falco Canine in the South End, um, which is an awesome dog training facility. A couple of my other friends who are dog trainers work there. And I started teaching group classes. So I was really nervous about teaching. Um, it's not my specialty. Um, and I had done them in the past, but they were never formal. It was always a large field socialization is what I taught, which was different than what I teach now, which is, um, it's foundational obedience, but I do it with a twist. It's foundational obedience for real world applications. So the classes are like you learn heal and place and stay and come and all that stuff, but it's based on like impulse control and engagement and socialization, like all these like mindset, you know, kind of, uh, based curriculum. So the first few times I taught it, it was like, not a lot of people. And then one day there was just like 12 people there. <laughs> I think that people have liked coming to it because it's unique. There's not any other class like it in Boston where we're going over the games and the skills that I'm going over. Um, like last week we did socialization. So the first half of it was lecture on dog behavior, went for a walk, a structured walk. We came back and we did, I let the dogs pair up and play. And then we did recall out of play. We did games in the play, I dissected play behavior and analyzed it for them. Um, like, I don't know anyone else who does that kind of stuff. I want to so. go. Sarah, you can't go. Also, you, <laughs> no, you, like, sure. up if you want to. I think my proudest moment is I have a few um, different dogs, but I'm going to just pick one. Um, there are a few dogs that I've walked that maybe. Um, another dog walker wouldn't have given a chance to walk in a group. Um, one of them I mentioned in the last podcast was Fival. He was so afraid. He literally pooped himself when I came in, like literally pooped himself. Oh. He was so scared because he moved from upstate New York and just couldn't handle <laughs> the city. The other one was Zelda who was, she peed on the bed and she was so afraid she wouldn't even let me take her out of the house because she'd never had a dog walker before. So winning those kinds of dogs over and making them feel confident and able to walk with the group and Fival just walking in the middle of that pack is like, every time he does it, I take a picture to send to his mom because it's like something that normally he's always off behind to the right. So now that he's, it's been a year, you know, he's got gained the confidence. Zelda is a totally different dog than when I met her. But one of them, Watson, he is just the cutest little Welsh terrier, but he has such a major attitude. And I don't know if he would have made it with, you know, um, some other group walkers. I've really taken it slowly with him. Mm -hmm. I, first, I just introduced him to Fievel because I knew Fievel was a tiny little non-reactive dog who was going to walk with him. And now he walks, he used to hate big dogs. He used to, um, bark and like growl at dogs and I'd have to really take a long time to introduce him to, to different dogs. Out of all the dogs that I walk, and there's a lot, he only dislikes one of them. So I don't pair them together. But for him to like that many dogs and have to given to have given them all a chance is something that he would not have done when I first met him. And just that he, just the fact that he barks and growls at them and then he trusts me enough to feel like it's like he does he still does that behavior but he realizes it's like going to be safe and then he'll give that dog a chance and that dog Aww. 
usually doesn't even care that he's around, you know, so <laughs> like they just kind of ignore him. Um, some of the other dogs kind of think he's crazy because like he barks at them all the time. <laughs> like if having fun, he'll like bark at them to make them stop having, he's like the fun police. <laughs> <laughs> but it's so nice to know that he can have this environment. I actually met him at the park and I gave my card to his owner and, um, you know, he told me, I was like, oh, can I pet him? And he was like, you know, he's not always friendly. I was like, that's okay. He, like, he doesn't have to like me, you know? Not every dog has to like everybody. And um, just now, the other day, I came into the house and his mom happened to be home, which isn't normal. She was home early. And I picked him up and he's just like dancing and jumping. He never used to let me touch his face. He would bite. He mm -hmm. never used to let me pick him up. Now I can pick him up. He jumps. He rolls over, shows me his belly. Like, mm -hmm. I can touch his, his whiskers without him biting me. He gives me kisses now. Like, isn't just a completely different dog, like, who, who someone else may, maybe would not have given the chance to, like, get comfortable enough. So yeah. I'm just really happy that I, you know, I, one, that these people trusted me with their dog that they knew um, acted in this odd way. Um, and secondly, that the dog trusts me enough to know that I'm going to make sure that I'm advocating for his space and that the dogs aren't going to be, you know, um, putting physical pressure on him, for example, like moving him out of the way or not letting him sniff what he wants to sniff. So those are the things that really make me the happiest. Um, yeah. And just like the amount of time that you spend, um, doing all this, I don't think that everyone necessarily would take the time. And the fact that you are willing to do that is, is amazing. It really yeah. is. You know, I can't take every aggressive dog. I can't do it. Like there are some aggressive dogs that will only walk on solo. I just, mm -hmm. you know, it's not worth the risk, but he's not aggressive in the fact that he just wants to go after other dogs. He's, he's just afraid of other dogs encroaching on his space, you know? So once he knows that somebody's got his back and he doesn't have to protect the human, he's like, he's been a, literally a completely different dog. It's just amazing. The other day he initiated play. And when I saw his mom, his mom was like, I cannot believe in his report card. You know, I write a report card with pictures and everything. Oh. I can't believe he initiated play with another dog. And I was like, you know what? Like miracles do happen. It's taken a year, but he's, he, he's doing it. So I don't know. It just makes me so happy. That's so awesome. That's so oh, awesome. It's so cute. Oh, he's so cute. And then Instagram, follow him. Uh, I know so many of your dogs have Instagrams. I've kind of been creeping a little bit. Um, yeah, tag, follow all the ones that are tagged. They need followers because they're the cutest dogs. I will. <laughs> Um, if anyone wants to get in touch with either of you, if they want to, after hearing this, want to dive into your services, how do they get in touch with you? What's the best way? Um, so my, my website is changing right now. I do not know how it will look when it's done, but there should be a, I have, it's www.communitykaninboston and the K is just the letter K and the number nine. Um, and there should be a button where you could, you could either send me a personal email or just book a class. Um, everyone has to book a class with me before they get any other service. I do board and trains. I do hikes for some parts of Boston. Um, and yeah, or you could look at my Instagram, which is just communicating in Boston. And you can see all of how I train. There's training videos there. There's like huge uh, informational posts about all the different tools I use and the methods I use. Um, 
that information is also, it is on my website. I'm not sure what format it'll be on my website when it's done. Um, and it is also on my Facebook. So yeah, that's, that's how you can contact me. Okay. Um, and my website for dog walking and dog boarding in Brighton and Brookline is the mindful mutt Boston on Instagram and, um, on Facebook, it's the mindful mutt and my website is the mindful Um, most people reach out to me through Instagram. So it's usually the easiest way to kind of get to know me before you can stalk me a little bit before you, so you know who you're talking to. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you both so much for being on with us. We love having you, Deanna. Thanks for being on. The I'm so happy to be back. Thank you. <laughs> Well, Laurel, this has been an incredible first season. I feel like we've been through so much together. We've learned a lot. And I think it's let's talk a, bit, a little bit about what's next for us. Definitely. I think you have some news that you have to share with everyone. I know. It's a little bit bittersweet, but um, Laurel and I currently live in Boston. Not together, but, you know, in Boston, Massachusetts. And... Um, my husband and I are actually moving to San Diego in a couple weeks. She's going to where it's warm. That's right. I'm <laughs> escaping winter. So the podcast will continue. Yay. But we're going to be doing it remotely. Yeah. And I'm actually moving too, but I'm not moving all the way across the U.S. <laughs> I'm moving just a few towns over to a new house. And Sarah and I are going to be getting some new audio equipment. This is the best news for you, our listeners, because we know our audio has been pretty terrible over the course of this season. And we really appreciate you for hanging in there. And we're going to reward you with much better sound next season. It's going to be really, really exciting. So what are we going to talk about next season? We'll be talking about things that you can do with your dog in your town. Maybe they have some special events. We'll be talking about... Also some hobby-related things, right? Like, I really want to try agility with Duke, so I think we're going to explore that next season. Do you have anything you want to try with Charlie? I do. I really... So, Charlie, every time that he is around you or just anyone in general that's got a kind of a younger vibe to them or at the barn he's a psychopath he is running around he's jumping he's... i bring out the worst in your dog <laughs> not just you just anyone under 50 <laughs> bring he gets so so incredibly excited but every time that he goes to my grandmother's assisted living facility he changes he is so calm he walks with their with them when they have their walkers he walks mm -hmm. right next to wheelchairs he's checking in on them so I'm really committed to getting Charlie certified as a therapy dog next season. I love it. That's so great. So I think we have some goals for next season. Yeah, we definitely do. And then one other final thing that I wanted to mention is um, we're going to be releasing this episode. Everyone's already listening to it, obviously, if you're hearing this. In a few days, we're going to be releasing a bonus blog with Michaela and... Deanna so that will be really excited so watch out for that it's going to be training and exercise tips for you and your dog that you can use to keep your dog a little bit more engaged than just running running them out and getting them tired thank you to all of our listeners for such a great season we love you all 
Contact us at dogcasters at whatisdog.com or follow us on Instagram at whatisdogcast. This episode has been written and produced by Laurel White and Sarah Mulvey at What Is Dogcast. This is the end of our first season. Be sure to tune in next season starting mid-January 2020. Thanks for listening. But if you're